Good morning. My name is Joseph and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Evo Payments first quarter 2022 conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you ask a question during this time, simply press a star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Thank you. Ed O'Hare, you may begin the conference. Good morning and welcome to Evo Payments first quarter earnings conference call. Our press release and supplementary slides are available on the investor relations portion of our website. Before we begin, I want to remind all listeners that Evo Payments is acting under the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act. Certain statements in this conference call, such as projections regarding future performance, may be considered forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Act. Such forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors which could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by such forward-looking statements. For additional information on these factors, please refer to our press release and filings with the SEC. Please refer to our press release for an explanation of the non-GAAP financial measures discussed in today's call, along with a reconciliation of those measures to the nearest applicable GAAP measures. Today we will discuss our first quarter results and overall business performance. Joining me on the call is Jim Kelly, our Chief Executive Officer, Tom Panther, our Chief Financial Officer, Darren Wilson, President of the International Segment, and Brendan Tansel, President of the America Segment. I will now turn the call over to Jim. Thank you, Ed. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. In the first quarter, Evo demonstrated strong performance across our markets as we executed on our solid sales strategies to capitalize on the favorable macroeconomic trends across the Americas and Europe to grow the business. To begin today's call, I would like to acknowledge the ongoing tragic events in Europe following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February. As you are aware, we have a very significant business in Poland, which shares its eastern border with Ukraine. Since the hostility in Ukraine began, over 3 million people have crossed the border into Poland, resulting in higher volumes across all verticals in our Polish market. Darren will provide more detail regarding the war's impact on our business later on the call. In the first quarter, the company demonstrated volume growth of 26% compared to the first quarter of 2021, which is the third consecutive quarter of volume acceleration. On a constant currency basis, revenue grew 23%, adjusted EBITDA grew 21%, and margin of 32% remained flat with the prior year. These results reflect our ability to execute on our well-established bank referral and tech-enabled distribution strategies across both Europe and the Americas which includes growing our existing channels and a key focus on new capabilities and M&A activity. In our bank channel, we continue to make progress on our joint venture in Greece and have completed all the necessary actions to launch this business later this year upon receiving regulatory approval. Darren will further discuss our business in Greece later on the call. In our tech enabled channel, we continue to sign referral partners and expand our capabilities across all our markets. Specifically in the US, we completed a native API integration to the Acumatica ERP system and now have four certified ERP integrations, which will grow our B2B business. As we move further into 2022, I'm excited about the sales momentum we have generated in the first part of the year and look forward to continued strong performance across the company. I am confident that we will be able to execute on our strategies and generate solid top line and bottom line growth for the company, given the diversification of the business, the cash to card tailwinds across our markets, and our significant M&A pipeline and capital capacity. I will now turn the call over to Darren, who will discuss our European business in more detail. Darren? Thanks, Jim. For the quarter, Europe's Constant currency revenue increased 51% and volume increased 40%. These results were largely attributable to our strong sales execution across our bank referral and tech-enabled channels as many COVID-related restrictions were lifted throughout Europe. 
Additionally, we also benefited from strong DCC volumes across many of our markets, which reflects the increase in cross-border activity during the quarter. As reflected in this quarter's financial results, we are experiencing broad-based growth across all of our markets and industry verticals. The strong rebound in economic activity is further evidenced by our continued new business wins from our bank and tech-enabled referral channels this quarter. In Ireland, for example, we signed the Gucci and Mont Blanc stores, in addition to the Select Group, which is the premium Apple reseller in Ireland and the UK. In Germany, we renewed and expanded our relationship with a large online clothing retailer, DNA, and will now process for this merchant across 22 countries in Europe. Further, we strengthened our portfolio in Poland and the Czech Republic as we signed new merchants via the respective cashless programs, which remained in effect in both markets. Our strong first quarter performance is driven by our solid sales execution, which is supported by our well-established bank referral relationships and our compelling suite of product and services. To drive accelerated growth for our European portfolio, we are also expanding our tech-enabled referral network across all markets by signing new partners and enhancing our existing relationships as we continue to invest in our integrated software capabilities. In the first quarter, we enabled open banking solutions in Poland to support bank transfers at the physical point of sale and online via our pay-by-link capability. We also launched the SoftPos smartphone terminal application for our Czech merchants earlier this year, which is continuing to generate new business as these merchants embrace software at the point of sale. We will look to extend these capabilities to our other European markets later this year. Turning to Greece, we have continued to make progress to launch our joint venture in the market since our last call. Our executive team has recently made several trips to Athens to meet with MBG's executives, and both parties remain excited about the development of our business integration plan and sales and marketing campaign. We will be ready to launch operations in Greece upon securing regulatory approval, which we now anticipate occurring in the fourth quarter of this year. Lastly, we are working with our bank partners in the Czech Republic, Raiffeisen Bank and Moneta, to identify additional growth opportunities as both banks recently announced acquisitions in the market. We look forward to further enabling digital payment acceptance and increasing market share in the Czech Republic now with the expansion of our existing referral channels. As we execute on our bank and tech-enabled sales strategies across our European segment, we look forward to the continued growth of our business and strong financial performance. We're excited about the continued resumption of cross-border activity, including DCC, and the launch of our business in Greece, which will accelerate revenue growth for the segment. As we continue to expand our European footprint, we are also making additional investments in market-leading products and capabilities to enhance our market share and maintain strong growth in the region. Before I turn the call over to Brendan, I would like to follow up on Jim's comments regarding the crisis in Ukraine and its impact on our business. We have no merchants or third-party service providers in Ukraine or Russia. However, the war has indirectly impacted our Central and Eastern European business. As Jim noted, there has been a significant influx of Ukrainians into Poland and adjacent European markets, which has resulted in increased consumer spending since March, specifically in Poland. With regard to the sanctions placed on Russia, we have implemented certain system functionalities to prevent processing for Russian and associated Russian territory-issued cards. In Poland, we've also recently enabled our terminals to provide a donation option at the point of sale to allow our merchants and their customers to show their support for Ukraine. Further, we are working closely with our partner bank, PKOBP, to support Ukrainians in the market, demonstrated by our donation to the bank's refugee fund, our other charitable activity, and special thanks 
go to the significant efforts of our Polish employees who are offering significant support to the refugees and those adversely impacted by the war. We remain focused on enabling digital payments for all merchants and consumers in our European markets as we work to facilitate economic activity and the flow of commerce to assist this region during this extremely challenging period. I will now turn the call over to Brendan, who will provide an update on our Americas segment. Brendan? Thanks, Darren. For the quarter, the Americas constant currency revenue increased 9%, which reflects the segment's 11% volume growth in the quarter. These results were largely attributable to growth from our bank referral channels in Mexico and Chile and our tech-enabled businesses across all markets. Beginning with Chile, we demonstrated accelerated growth once again in the first quarter, as we worked closely with BCI to accelerate our bank referral activity and continue to sign new e-commerce merchants via our Pago Facile acquisition. We now have more than 10,000 merchants in Chile, less than a year since launching operations in the market, and our new merchant signings are accelerating month over month. In Mexico, consistent with previous quarters, we demonstrated mid to high teens volume and adjusted revenue growth of 18 and 15% respectively, driven by our bank referral channel as COVID-related restrictions abated and customers resumed in-store buying activity. Turning to the U.S., our tech-enabled channel is delivering strong results this year as we continue to expand and enhance our referral network and build out our products and capabilities to drive growth for this market. In the first quarter, our tech-enabled revenue increased 13% compared to the prior year, which reflects our ISV and B2B growth and strong momentum for our repositioned direct e-commerce business. In our ISV business, we continue to distinguish ourselves from our competitors in the U.S. by providing superior customer service and market-leading technology, which enabled us to sign new merchants and delivered strong financial performance in the quarter. In our B2B business, we continue to execute our organic sales strategy by forming new integrated payments partnerships that allow us to sign new merchants through a growing referral network. Most recently, we completed a certified native integration to the Acumatica ERP system, which has already enabled us to sign new customers. Further, this integration expands our opportunity to sign new referral partners who offer Acumatica products as part of their software offering. As the world's fastest growing ERP system, Acumatica has more than 8,000 customers in relationships with approximately 250 value-added resellers. Their customers represent nearly all industry verticals, including retail, construction and manufacturing, consumer services, among others. This is Evo's fourth proprietary integration to a scaled ERP solution since we entered the B2B market in 2017, and we are excited to build market share among Acumatica users as we continue to expand our suite of integrations to additional ERP systems. Many of our existing distribution partners in the B2B business already operate in the Acumatica channel, and this new integration should increase our penetration of those partners' customer base. Lastly, I would like to provide an update on the repositioning of our U.S. e-commerce business, which we announced on our last call. Since we expanded the capabilities of our B2B Payfabric gateway to process B2C transactions, we are continuing to sign a steady stream of referral partners across a range of industry verticals, particularly those that require subscription or alternative forms of recurring payment capabilities. These verticals, such as field services, healthcare, and veterinary, are underpenetrated compared to traditional retail e-commerce and will provide additional growth opportunities for our U.S. tech-enabled channel to complement our ISV and B2B businesses. I am pleased with the performance we are demonstrating in 2022 as we execute on our sales strategies across our markets. With that, I will turn the call over to Tom, who will cover the financials in more detail. Tom? Thanks, Brendan, and good morning, everyone. As previously noted, Evo delivered strong results for the quarter, providing a solid start to 2022. On a constant currency basis, revenue increased 23%, adjusted EBITDA increased 21%, and margin of 32% remained consistent with the prior year. These results reflect strong volume growth in the quarter, which increased 26% compared to 2021 and 32% compared to 2019 
As lingering COVID-related restrictions were lifted in Europe and economic activity rebounded across all of our markets. With respect to segment performance, in Europe, our year-over-year constant currency revenue increased 51% and adjusted segment profit increased 82%. Our European performance reflects the widespread easing of COVID-related restrictions, which remained in effect during the first quarter of 2021. In addition, the increase in cross-border activity resulted in DCC revenue tripling compared to the prior year and increased more than 20% compared to pre-pandemic levels. In the Americas, year-over-year cost of currency revenue increased 9% and adjusted segment profit increased 13%. Adjusted corporate expenses for the quarter increased $3 million, primarily due to the deferral of certain personnel costs in the first quarter of 2021 when COVID-19 was having a significant impact on our business. We continue to actively manage our costs to mitigate the inflationary pressure we're experiencing across our markets. Adjusted net income for the quarter increased 51% to $19 million compared to last year, and adjusted net income per share for the quarter was 20 cents, which increased 7 cents or 54% compared to a year ago. At the end of the quarter, diluter shares totaled 95 million, an increase of 1 million weighted average shares compared to the prior year. In the first quarter, capital expenditures were $8 million versus $11 million in Q1 2021. Of this amount, approximately 65% was for terminals as we continue to capitalize on the strong cash-to-card tailwinds and board new merchants. Free cash flow for the first quarter increased 67% to $28 million compared to the prior year, resulting in a free cash flow conversion of 71%, driven by our strong earnings and lower interest expense from the refinancing of our debt in the fourth quarter. Our capital position remains extremely strong with over $200 million of available cash and $200 million of capacity under our revolver. The generation of free cash flow and the active management of our balance sheet resulted in us lowering our leverage from 2.8 times a year ago to 2.0 times at the end of the first quarter. Turning to our outlook, 2022 is off to a good start, and we're encouraged by the recent business trends we are seeing across our markets. However, we remain cautious about the global economic uncertainty from the crisis in Ukraine, lingering supply chain constraints, and the recent surge in inflation. As a result, we are maintaining our previously issued 2022 guidance, which anticipates revenue growth of 11 to 13 percent, adjusted EBITDA growth of 13 to 15 percent, and 80 to 90 basis points of margin expansion. Given our first quarter performance, we'd now expect our revenue and EBITDA growth rates to be at the mid to high end of these ranges. Specifically for the second quarter, we expect revenue growth to be slightly above the full year growth rate and margin to modestly increase compared to the second quarter of last year as COVID continued to impact our markets during the early stages of Q2 2021. These results exclude the incremental earnings from any acquisitions that close during the year and assume FX rates remain consistent with the first quarter. With that, I'll turn the call back over to Jim. Jim. Thanks, Tom. Our strong results demonstrate our continued ability to execute on our strategies and growth initiatives despite the global and economic challenges we've faced over the last few years particularly COVID-19, now the war in Ukraine, and more recently, inflationary pressures. Across our developing card markets in Latin America, Central and Eastern Europe, and Greece, we remain focused on investing in technology-driven solutions to support card adoption. Domestically, we are building out our software solutions in key underpenetrated verticals, particularly B2B and e-commerce, to drive long-term revenue and EBITDA growth for our business. After more than two years since the onset of the pandemic, we are proving to be well-positioned for the recovery in consumer spending across Europe as cross-border travel and related DCC activity increases across the segment. Similarly, our new merchant sales have continued to accelerate as they respond to the increasing consumer demand for digital solutions at both the physical and online point of sale. 
Our adjusted EBITDA margin of 32% this quarter is up 400 basis points from Q1 2019, driving our continued high free cash flow conversion, yielding us substantial dry powder to drive increasing shareholder value. Both our margin and cash flow remain a key focus of our business as we continue to prioritize investments in our products and services and M&A opportunities to further accelerate our growth and expand our global reach. With that, I will now turn the call over to the operator to begin the question and answer session. Operator? Let's do this. Okay. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star and then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile a Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Tian Sin Huang. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Just uh, really, really strong results here, especially in Europe. So I wanted to ask on that. Europe coming in well ahead of the Visa MasterCard benchmarks on volume and transaction growth. So what, what would you, uh, Darren, attribute the, the outperformance to? How much is, like you talked about easing, COVID restrictions, how much of that is unique to you? It sounds like DCC played a role. Of course, new sales from bank referral and tech enabled as well. So just trying to better understand how you benchmarked and uh, on the on-performance side. Thanks. Thanks, Hinjun. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, I think you, you answered your own question there. Um, absolutely. Uh, Q1 saw uh, excellent new merchant sales. Uh, across all channels, but specifically the tech-enabled divisions doing uh, really well in terms of ISV-led uh, opportunities and e-commerce. But the the volume recovery is is really across all sectors. Um, with the markets opening up, uh, travel is back, and travel being domestic travel, so people getting back to work, people staycationing as well uh, domestically, but also business international travel coming back as well. So. Um, uh, travel across the piece, restaurants, uh, back trading, uh, now lockdowns or restrictions uh, are lifted. Uh, obviously, there's some inflationary effect of just underlying cost increases uh, having some impact, but not at a level that's curbing spending. Uh, so that's uh, encouraging trends as well. Uh, and the e-commerce business uh, is maintaining the uh, high level of growth rates we saw uh, through the pandemic. So it really is across uh, all sectors, all verticals, and all channels. So uh, encouraging trends consistently across most markets. And just to add to that, if, if you recall in the, in the comments, Tinjin, that you know, the war in Ukraine, is, as horrific as it is, it had some um, economic benefit to the Poland business. Their revenue was up, uh, how much was it? 40, 50%? Well, volume was up about yeah. 50%. Revenue is up probably 18, 19%. Yeah. Um, so. so that was benefit. But I had just come back from Europe. Uh, actually, Tom and I were there a couple of weeks ago. And each of our markets showed very strong growth. Uh, the UK market with uh, integrated Irish market, very strong start to the year. Um, Spain as well uh, was off to a good start. You know, we've lapped the Popular stuff, and uh, they were also – heavily impacted by COVID. So it was really across the board. And echoing what Darren said, you know, while we were over there, while we're not European and we're not, we haven't been there in a few years, uh, it seems to be a very busy place these days. Uh, we're in Greece as well. The restaurants are full. So it's a, a very good sign for, I think, for the coming uh, summer months of travel. Agreed. No, that's good stuff. So just my quick follow-up, if you don't mind, moving to the upper half of your guidance that's encouraging and, and different than your, your peers. So I'm curious, how much, what, what trends are you seeing in April? And Jim, given your comments around the summer, just how much are you weighing conservatism in that outlook versus, you know, maybe something that you're seeing differently here in the recent, uh, recent days and weeks? Thanks. Yeah, I, you know, we stayed within the guidance. I think we just felt like we were off to a good start. Um, and, uh, Maybe it was somewhat informed by what I just described, but the, the GMs across the markets, Latin America as well, and, and the U.S., I think, is performing um, equally. So, you know, we stay within the range. We were just trying to 
narrow our expectations, at least at this stage now. Clearly, the overhang is, is uh, you know, wh where does this war ultimately end up? That <clears throat> maybe we have felt the effects of that, but um, you know that's always uh, our, our is a concern. And then inflation, you know, where does that go? The potential of a recession. You know, there's definitely factors out there that could pull back, but at this stage, just seeing what we're given, what we've seen thus far, uh, we felt comfortable to stay within the range and 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 guide up a little bit from where we had started uh, a month or so ago when we gave our original guidance. Appreciate the prudence. Thank you, guys. Okay, thanks, Tinjin. Your next question comes from the line of Ashwin Shervekar. Your line is open. Um, thank you. Uh, good morning, uh, folks. Uh, very good, morning. good quarter here. Uh, thank you. I, I have a few sort of, you know, uh, clarification questions, uh, Europe-related. Um, one is to start, if if DCC uh, as an input is sort of normalized at, let's call it 2019 levels, um, how much incremental benefit uh, would that would that bring you, and is that incorporated in in your outlook? And then a similar kind of numerical question, and I know this is a difficult one, but is it possible to size the benefit or beneficial impact from um, Ukrainian uh, refugees. Ashton, good morning. It's Tom. So on your first question, if you look at our expectations around 2022 uh, to pre-pandemic levels, as I mentioned in, in my comments, we saw quarter over quarter uh, a 20% increase in, in DCC. You know, some of that has to do with quarterly effects. I think full year is a is a better way to look at it, and we would see DCC up about 10% relative to full year 2019, um, and that's what's factored into our thought process. Again, some of that's going to be dependent upon cross-border activity and, and what we see, but we're pretty bullish, um, not sitting here in Atlanta, but talking to our GMs in the local markets, we're pretty bullish with the level of cross-border activity that we anticipate seeing. Um, that's going to be international travel as well as pan-European travel. If you recall, last year um, we we saw most of the travel confined to within Europe. Uh, now we're seeing a lot more uh, international travel. To your second question, uh, minimal related impact from DCC associated with Ukraine in particular. Um, not to get too far into the weeds, but um, we're actually – uh, have the benefit of having our GM from Poland in uh, Atlanta this week. Um, and so we had the opportunity to visit with uh, Joanna, um, and she was uh, you know, educating us on a little bit of the ebb and flow in terms of the way Ukrainian-issued cards are being handled from a DCC perspective. There was a period of time where we were able to charge DCC on a Ukrainian-issued card, but more recently the Polish government has pulled back on that and has uh, suspended uh, Ukrainian-issued um, uh, uh, cards that have DCC. I don't know the percentage of our DCC volume that comes from Ukrainian-issued um, cards, but I would uh, venture to guess it's, that it's... It's pretty low, negligible. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty negligible, Tom. Uh, to the point, the, the margin, uh, Astrid, that we charged on Ukrainian DCC was very modest against uh, standard uh, DCC margins, typically because... Uh, the go government guidance uh, in Poland was really not to penalize, already pretty penalized uh, uh, individuals. But now, uh, as Tom says, there's zero DCC margin on any uh, foreign exchange product in the country, so bank transfers, let alone card transfers. So really there's no uh, DCC lift from uh, the Ukrainian side. Uh, there's obviously been some volume lift in terms of Ukrainians uh, spending in Poland domestically. Um, and that's within some of the Poland growth numbers. But to be able to carve out specifically uh, what was Ukrainian transactions um, against domestic, uh, as we said, it's, it's a de minimis part of the volume. So it's a negligible impact. 
And Ashwin, and for the rest of the group, I want to clarify one comment I made when Jim was speaking because I was looking at a wrong reference point. Volume is up uh, just shy of 50%, and so is revenue. I referenced earlier 18%. I was looking at a different frame. I was looking at a different relative point. So volume and revenue are moving in consistent patterns. So. You should stop correcting me. Remember, I used to be a CFO. <laughs> I will learn. From, I will learn from my mistakes. We'll, we'll talk about it later. I am humble yeah. enough to admit them when they occur. <laughs> You're going to have to file something otherwise. <clears throat> thank you, thank you for that, Jim. You mentioned you also in Greece. Uh, is there any um, update on timing that you can provide, and, and given just the you know very good quality of your balance sheet, uh, are there you know other countries you you're thinking of already or? Uh, to, uh, sure. I, I guess in the first question, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I think if we're super lucky, it'd be the third quarter. It's probably more likely the beginning of the fourth quarter. The the only reference point we have was uh, Euronet's acquisition of Piraeus, and I think it took almost 365 days to the day to actually close. So there's two two in front of us, and maybe the hope is they get faster at it as they do more and more. Um, but when I at dinner with Paul, the CEO of the bank, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, they didn't seem to have any greater insight, but given their position in the marketplace, and he's he and his team are very encouraged about the opportunity to get this thing closed and move on, you know, potentially we can pull it back uh, a little bit. Yeah, so in the, the subsequent applications, of the first one took a year, the subsequent, the next uh, approval took six months. So the regulators getting more used to these uh, transactions and structures. So, so consequently, we are still targeting at the end of Q3 for that uh, re respective approval. And on the second one, I appreciate you saying that our, our balance sheet looks really good. That's uh, been a few years before I've heard that. Um, you know, in terms of what countries, I think we're going to stay with the theme that you've seen. While we are across um, much of Central and Eastern Europe, by virtue of following large customers out of Poland, uh, I consistently encourage Darren and the team over there to look for bank partners uh, just as a, a, a bigger wedge into the marketplace just to have more presence uh, in these very, very fast, high-growing markets. And then I think for, um, for uh, Brendan and, and South America, that remains uh, a high priority to, to find our, our way into other um, Central, uh, South America, Central and South America markets. So, you know, we look, as I said in the comments, we look to put the balance sheet to work and, um, you know, as the world is maybe passing the uh, <clears throat> COVID-19, you know, dealing with the inflation and the other stuff that's going on right now, I think we'll see more and more opportunities uh, pop up on the market. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Ashwin. Yep. Your next question comes from George Mialos. Your line is open. Great. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for uh, for taking my question. I guess I guess first first question, Tom, as it relates to the guidance and and, and reiterating the eleven to thirteen on the top line, given stronger, bigger uh, 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 FX headwinds. Is, is the right way to think about it that on a on a normalized constant currency basis, you're basically growing, kind of call it, you know, 14 to 16 percent, that that's what you're looking at, sort of a three-point headwind, but the constant currency growth is considerably higher? Yeah, George, you got that exactly right. And just look at Q1 as a data point. Constant currency was 23 percent, reported was 20. If you look at the quarterly FX, um, in Q2, 3, and 4 of last year, where the euro and the uh, was in particular, it was you know around one spot 16. Now it's obviously around 105. So, so yeah, it's a it's about on a year-over-year basis, uh, three percentage point uh, headwind to us. We did factor in what rates have done so far this year in in that guide. Um, we obviously can't predict where they go from here to date. As Jim said, we've been able to earn our way through it. Um, if they hold, then you know we feel pretty good with with where we are in that mid to high team. Uh, you know, keep in mind we only have three months in our rearview mirror, so and there's a lot going on in the world, a lot of global macroeconomic inflection points with FX and inflation. 
um, COVID waning, uh, consumer spending. Some people are talking about recession. You know, all of these are some are positive, some are some are negative. So, uh, you know, we felt like we would it'd be balanced uh, for us to hold the line, signal where in the range we we see things uh, trending, um, and and uh, and let another 90 days lapse before we revisit uh, guidance. Uh, the other piece I'll give you, just as way of information, you think about the construct of our business, uh, about a third of an FX headwind or tailwind uh, affects EBITDA. So while you get an impact to, to revenue, you also get uh, an offsetting, not equally, but uh, an offsetting impact to, uh, to expenses. <coughs> so not all of that uh, flows through the, the bottom line. And the other piece of information to, to help you think about this, obviously about using round numbers, 40% of our business is USD. Uh, peso is 20%. Zloty is about 20%, a little bit shy of that. Uh, Euro 15. And if you're keeping score, the residual five is in sterling in our UK business. So you know, while the Euro has taken a beating, the peso and the Zloty have generally held in there, more the peso than the Zloty, the, although the Polish bank has been quick to raise rates, which I think has been helpful to, to the Zloty, so it hasn't taken as big a beating as the Euro. So again, we, we take all of these things into, into consideration, and, and um, uh, th that's where we landed. But I'll, I'll end with where you started, and that is when we talk to our GMs in Mexico City and in Warsaw and in Madrid, and in the UK and in Dublin, they're, they're neutral to all of this. And what they talk about is what they're seeing with their merchant portfolio, uh, with their volume growth, what they're seeing with transactions, um, and those core health indicators of the business, when you take the static of FX out, are very encouraging. Well, that's, that, that's great. Really appreciate the, uh, the color and the clear out performance. So I guess, I guess just on that point, two, two quick ones here. It, it, you mentioned obviously Poland up up fifty percent, but it sounds like throughout all of Europe, um, your uh, the performance is exceeding your your expectations. And then uh, just quickly for um, uh, for, for for Brendan, the thirteen percent uh, 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 tech growth in in the in the Americas. Do you happen to have a rough breakdown of ISV versus B two B? Thanks, guys, and congrats on the results. Yeah, I think you threw a couple in there, George. But but yes, Europe overall is doing well. Um, Poland uh, was the leader of the pack, both in size. They have more of a tailwind from DCC, but all of Europe in terms of volumes. You saw on the on the slides that uh, that we distributed that uh, year over year volume growth for Europe was up 40% compared to pre pre pandemic 44%. So it wasn't just an easy comparable. It was also up you know forehandle relative to to 19. With respect to um, uh, U.S., uh, um, what you're seeing in terms of growth, ISV is leading the way. Um, you know, it was mid to high teens, uh, B, B2B, not that far behind. We've talked before about e-com being a little bit uh, of a laggard relative to kind of that three-pronged mix of, of tech-enabled. But, but the businesses that we're investing in, you know, we see them, um, you, you know, in that uh, – uh, low teen, low to mid high teen kind of consistent growers. Quarterly, you're going to see some unevenness. So I think I'd be cautious about looking at things on a quarterly basis, um, particularly sometimes in these businesses where onboarding can be a little bit lumpy and things like that. But but overall, ISB and and uh, was was the highest grower and, and B2B not far behind. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Kartik Mehta. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Uh, maybe Darren or Jim. Uh, just on Greece, I know you said uh, you think it'll close uh, in the fourth quarter. I'm wondering how much uh, work can you do with your bank partner before it closes um, and so that when you do close it, you're kind of up and running and ready to go? Thanks, Kartik. Uh, yep, we uh, a lot of work. In summary, uh, we've got a, a full team on it uh, from Evo, and the bank is similarly uh, doing exactly the same uh, with uh, senior exec steercos underway. So the next two months will be at a very granular level documenting uh, 
all the bank processes, procedures, um, and products uh, with a view to understanding exactly what they do, what the nuances are, what the kind of individual customer solutions are for major corporates, et cetera, then mapping those to uh, a business requirements set of documents for our build onto our Poland platform, and then commencing that build. So our goal is to not only be ready for, for new, new merchant boarding uh, as soon as we can have to close, uh, but also ready for uh, a platform migration as well of the existing portfolio in Greece. So uh, there's a lot of work streams uh, underway. There's been multiple visits there uh, already. Uh, there's multiple visits planned over the next few weeks to really accelerate in the next two months a lot of documentary um, exercise. But, what, but while we'll have a lot of that work done, we're going to have to work – we'll still work with the bank – for I think the TSA is for upwards to three years, and uh, typically, you know, that's that's a, a contribution that the bank makes to the the joint joint venture, just like the cost that we incur to stand up our side of it is our contribution to the joint venture. So, you know, we <clears throat> we hope by next year, you know, this time we've got it all dialed in, but you know, it, it will be I think well baked by the time we close. And then just uh, putting it on the B2B side, I think Tom said, uh, you know, I think you had mid-teens growth there, so that business continues to perform well. Is there a backlog of business there, or, you know, how you might measure the success of that business for 2022 and maybe what your outlook is for the year? Yeah, I mean, in terms of a backlog, um, as an example, one of the high priority items that we've been working on is, you know, we acquired circa 70 SAP customers at the time that we bought the Delego business in Kitchener, Ontario. And as you recall, you know, Delego specifically provides integrations to SAP ERP solutions. These are very, very big accounts, um, and you know, they are uh, a captive audience that are ripe for conversion. And so we've been aggressively pursuing those guys and and the opportunities there and you know, adding a handful a year would prove to be enormously additive to to the, the contribution margin of the overall business. We also have a, a portfolio of resellers that we've been signing. I think we signed 22 resellers in the last quarter, and, and, and those resellers all have back books of business. And, you know, the first order of business when you sign a new partner is not necessarily the next new merchant that the partner signs, but but more a back book of business that again represents a captive audience where we would try and sell the merchant our, on our integrated payment solution. So, you know, we, if, if 20, you know, I think in terms of like, um, you know, we, we sell to partners more so than individual merchants and then the merchants sell, you know, a, a bundled solution. Um, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday at our board meeting. If we signed 22 a quarter, you know, that to me would re represent a very productive year. So I'm focused on partner wins as much as anything else. And then, you know, I think, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, as we also talked about in the quarter, we, we signed a or we, we finished a new integration with Acumatica. And, you know, I think two encouraging things came out of that. We got that Acumatica integration done in four months. And as Acumatica was reviewing the quality of the code and the development work that our team, in particular the Suzo team, um, did, um, they, they were enormously impressed. And, you know, I think the timelines that we achieved with them were, as I understand it, nearly unprecedented with the other partners that they've worked with. And Acumatica, as I said in my comments in the call, has a portfolio of 250 resellers now that we're going to be, you know, actively pursuing for new relationships. And in fact, we've actually already boarded a couple of Acumatica customers. And, you know, Acumatica has, I think, been impressed with how smoothly, smoothly this has all gone. Which is to say, you know, you look at the 22 partners we just signed, the 250 partners that are um, in the in the um, in the Acumatica channel. Um, you talk about the 70 very large accounts at, at Delego, and I think there's a lot of fertile grounds for us to be to be hunting. And then I guess w one final um, thought for you, which is to say, when we say we build an integration and it takes four months to complete. Um, this is not like a screen scrape, which is what you would see some of our competitors do. This is a native integration where the payments acceptance resides within the ERP, and it completely automates the receivable collection process. So it shortens your working capital cycles, it limits your loss ratios, it limits the number of headcount that you need in the receivables department. Um, you know, we call this a, a native integration, and I think 
you know, um, not all integrations are created equally. And these, these are more complex and time-consuming to build, but I think we, we feel and our customers tell us that they're infinitely more user-friendly and applicable. So I think that's why we see us winning the, the, the type of business that we're winning. I think that's why we're experiencing the growth rates that we're experiencing and the challenge in front of me and, and, the, and the two folks that run our B2B business is to continue to sign up another 22 partners every quarter and then continue to turn those partner relationships into um, fertile uh, uh, referral uh, pipelines. Well, hey, thank you. Uh, congrats on a very good quarter, Jim. Thank you, Kardik. Your next question comes from the line of Bob Natoli. Your line is open. Hey guys, it's Chris Kennedy and for Bob. Thanks for taking the question. Hey, Chris. Can you give us hey, can you give us an update on Chile and kind of how that's progressing relative to your expectations? Sure. Uh hey Bob. Um so Chile relative to expectations. Uh, we are in a very good spot as it relates to our sales cadence with the bank. So um their CRM called Everest and our CRM called Mercury are now completely um integrated which is to say that the bank can board merchants seamlessly through their systems and it feeds into ours and the boarding process is now completely automated. So we went from a business that was boarding, you know, obviously zero merchants at its infancy and today, you know, we did I think 1300 last month and 1400 the month prior. So th 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 these is, this has now become a very very active sales pipeline for us. Um we have uh, also we are also focused obviously on some large corporates which are chunky um and can take time. And in particular, um, we're in a conversation with um, two of the uh, very largest merchants, and when I say very largest, two of the top five in the entire country. And I'm very optimistic, and I thought that we were likely to have those already in the fold at this point, and we are remaining in, in, in pilot today, and you know, I, that's why I didn't talk about them in my, in my remarks. But we're in, we're, in a, we're, in a, we're in a good spot. We're also, I think, building a very capable team down there. Um, and are probably a little bit ahead of, ahead of where I expected to be on the hiring front. I think we now have 40 folks locally. Uh, the integration of our Paga Facile gateway is going extremely well, um, and that gateway will be processing through our uh, Evo, uh, Evo Mexico platform imminently, so that whole process is run incredibly um, smoothly, and the, and the Paga Facile gateway continues to, continues to be a vibrant source of new e-commerce business for the, for the market as well. So overall, I am. I feel exactly about the opportunity set as I as I did before. The the, the market remains strong, the economy locally remains strong, um, and you know, in the, in the case of BCI, we have an incredibly engaged bank partner that is very committed to the success of the JV. That's great. And then, an update on the potential revenue contribution from that initiative this year. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, Chris, it's Tom. So, you know, obviously we're, we're ramping, so that this was a little harder to, to predict, as, as Brendan said, uh, time of onboarding and, and things like that. Our expectation is by the end of the year, the business is a $10 million run rate business. Um, the margins would be probably around 25%. That's not the long-term margins of the business. We're adding costs down there to continue to support the growth that we're seeing particularly on the customer-facing and, and, and uh, merchant support side. So I think longer term, um, obviously, the revenue will outpace the, the fixed costs that we're having to add uh, on the out, uh, at the outset. But that's kind of right now where we see it, um, is, is kind of at a $10 million run rate and a 25% margin as we exit the, uh, the year. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Jeffrey. Your line is open. Hi, guys. With reference to the B2B outlook, are you – is it fair to say that Acumatica could potentially accelerate um, that growth, or is there a ramp? Yeah, I mean, I look, I think it's early days. I think what, you know, as it relates to the Acumatic integration, you know, I think where you could see some acceleration is specifically coming out of a lot of our Microsoft resellers also sell Acumatica business. 
and these are merchants or partners with whom we already have a very active relationship. And so to the extent that we can get a greater share of their wallet because our addressable market is, you know, represents a larger portion of their customer base, um, you know, I think there could be some near-term wins there. And that's why we've, you know, already boarded a handful of merchants in the, in the channel, uh, you know, in the early days of the integration. But I, I think the second piece of, of, or the second source of acceleration is potentially what we actually learned coming out of this, which is that building ERP integrations is a very viable, um, very viable strategy for us. We've been focused on buys. We bought Notice and Delego, as I've talked about on many of these calls. Um, and I still think there are things for us to buy, and we remain actively hunting for similarly situated businesses in new ERP ecosystems or, or, or furthering our penetration to existing ERP ecosystems. But there are some um, very large ERPs with very large addressable markets uh, that uh, where buying is um, less an option. And what we've seen out of the, the product team in Anaheim and the development team um, in China um, I think confirms our view that building is a completely viable strategy, as I just said, and and I think in totality, you know, we're we're building a layer cake. The 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 um, you know we're we're building a a we're broadening a distribution funnel, and every incremental ERP represents more net new merchants. And you know, I think in the aggregate, you'll see accelerating growth in the, in the in the business more broadly. Great. And then my follow-up is just talking about um, e-commerce competitiveness. What makes Evo stand out in the U.S. market? Sure. Um, so we've been talking about B2B a lot. The, the, the same technology that supports our B2B business also supports our B2C business. It's a gateway that we inherited through the acquisition of Notice that we've branded Payfabric. And we feel like the technology is really best in class. I actually, this morning when I was walking into the call, the gentleman that runs business development for a B2C e-commerce uh, is an early arriver, early arriver, and we caught up about the pipeline and a couple of the wins that he's recently had. And I asked him the exact question that you're asking me, why, why Evo? And it's service and technology. You know, we, we, the integration, the documentation that we hand um, these partners as they're integrating to our gateway it's proven to be completely seamless and very low lift for these guys who have very limited development resources. So time and effort are at a premium for them. And then we go to market with them and represent incremental revenue for partners that today don't recognize material revenue out of the channel. And as we work hand in glove with their sales forces, as they sell their product, we sell ours. You know, we have on-site meetings with them. We um, align on marketing collateral. We expose our marketing resources directly to them in a very open way. Um, the, the feeling of partnership, uh, I think, runs deep. So in any event, we're leading with, with service and, and technology and in the early days, based on wins that I'm saying thus far, that's proven to be a winning strategy. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Keene. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, guys. Um, I guess the... I guess the first question for Brendan, just how's the U.S. business doing X, B2B and e-com versus your expectations, just thinking about integrated and direct? Um, so the the ISV business, I guess. So you're asking me to talk about ISV and, 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 and direct specifically. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, you know, how what's the trajectory for that and is it tracking? I know that's been a area of focus to turn that business a little bit as well. Sure. So the, the ISV business had, an, had, a, had a very good first quarter. Um, we've done some changes in the sales organization there, um, and the energy around the building um, is has never been better. I've sat on a couple of business reviews in the last couple of months with the operations team, and we seem to be hitting on all cylinders there. We have an annual operating plan that's very metric-focused, and it focuses very specifically on things like gross ads and attrition and all of that stuff. And we have been, you know, right on plan in terms of um, gross ads each of the last several months. The attrition numbers are low. We've stood up a new retention team that's highly focused on saves um, or, or, um, or, or, yeah, sorry, saves and 
and they seem to be hitting plan. The partner uh, quality, we had a big um, uh, conference with one of our most important partners down in Orlando last month. Uh, the conference was super well attended, and I think, you know, I spoke to the founder of the business there, and um, he was super encouraged with both the way his business outlook looks, which, which you know, is super germane to ours, and then um, through the support and partnership that he's getting from Evo. And that's anecdotal, but, you know, I, I, that's, um, you know that sort of informs my, my view. So, look, I think the ISV business is great. It is heavily skewed to restaurant. And so, you know, as, as restaurants have now obviously been reopened for some time because of the COVID pullback, um, you know, we've been a beneficiary of that. Uh, you know, inflation is something to watch there. Is there a point at which inflation stops, starts discouraging folks from going to the restaurant? I'm certainly not seeing it in my personal life. I, I live in New York and go out to restaurants and they seem to be, you know, mobbed. And I, you know, that was, you know, Jim's and, and Tom's experience, you know, walking around Europe. And it's been the same in my travels around the U.S. I've been on planes quite a bit recently and it's, it's everywhere I go. So as the restaurant sector goes, so will our ISV business. And then, you know, I think we are making inroads in some new sectors um, that hold great promise for us. You know, specific to direct, um, we reorganized our direct business and gave it all to um, our, our team up in Montreal. The team in Montreal has put up exceptional results for the entire period during which we've been working with them. And to be clear, the Montreal business has been selling into the U.S. for you know, more than 15 years. Uh, it just happens to be located just north of the border. Um, but they have been putting up, you know, more than uh, 600 mids a month, which in our uh, lexicon is 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 a pretty phenomenal success. Um, but, you know, the, the direct channel is always, it, it, it is what it's always going to be, which is, you know, there are roughly 7 million card accepting merchants in the U.S. And, you know, I think rough numbers, a third or 40% of them have an integration, integrated solution today. And integrated is taking an increasingly large percentage of the aggregate pie. So integrated is growing at the expense of what we call direct, which is terminal next to a cash register. But if you still have six, 60% or 65 or 70% of 7 million card accepting merchants focused on a terminal and a cash register, that's a very, very large population of merchants that represent potential wins for us. And the good news for our business here in the U.S. Um, is it's you know, relatively small when compared to our peers. And there's a lot of business in the direct channel, um, in that addressable universe more broadly, that aren't our customers today that we can go get. And we've got a very competitive solution. We price fairly. We deliver what I consider to be best-in-class service. And so while I don't think that's ever going to be a bellwether of the U.S. business, it's, a, it's an enormous source of cash flow for the company that allows us to then reinvest in super high-growth markets like what Darren is focused on you know, in his comments on Greece or you know, what I've been talking about with respect to our activities in Chile. Got it. Got it. No, that's a helpful update. Thanks for that. And then just one follow-up for Darren. As open banking takes place in Poland, what's the change of economics to Evo for open banking? Just thinking about a card transaction versus an open banking transaction. Sure. Uh, it's a real opportunity, uh, Brian, uh, in terms of open banking really is taking place for the uh, online uh, side uh, is where we're seeing the trends coming initially. Uh, an open banking transaction at point of sale, uh, so card present, has much more kind of um, uh, physical friction to, uh, over tapping and going with, with a card uh, uh, payment. So it's a real opportunity upside. Essentially, we're taking a routing cost um, for the bank transfer capability. So economically wise, uh, it's, uh, it's an upside opportunity in that today in the online space, uh, essentially the payment is either cash on delivery um, or a pay by link method, which is uh, pretty clunky back to, uh, again, a bank account transfer. So in, in the cash and the pay by link, we typically wouldn't partake in the economics, whereas an open banking transaction, we do because we're the routing agent for our partner bank. So uh, it's a it's a a slick user experience which is why it's getting uh, traction in the online space. Uh, so we will partake in more of the economic pool uh, as we see kind of the transition from the old legacy pay-by-link or cash-on-delivery type models. So uh, we see as a tailwind yet to be seen what the consumer adoption will be uh, and how rapid it will be, but it's, uh, we're seeing uh, significant uh, potential growth there. Great. Thanks for taking the questions.
Thank you. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line Ramsey L. Asal. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for, for squeezing me in here. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, Ramsey. I had a Hi, I had a question on, on Poland and how we sort of think about Poland, incorporating Poland into, into our models. I think the Q&N impact was more towards the end of the quarter. The question is, do you expect more of a, a lasting step up in volumes given the influx of like a new populace there as we move deeper into Q2 and beyond? Or is it, should we think about it more as like a one-time kind of wave that will subside, you know, you know, in, in the not too distant future? What are you seeing, I guess, most, you know, in, in, in the most kind of recent quarter to date view? Hey, Ramsey, it's Tom, and I'll be glad to, you know, phone a friend here from Darren or Jim for, for any help on this. But, you know, I think we're at an inflection point, so it's hard to predict. We've clearly seen an, an uptick because of what's going on in Ukraine. Um, whether or not those 3 million people that have um, moved into Poland stay there permanently remains to be seen. But when you look at the destruction that's going on in Ukraine, it's unlikely that they go East anytime soon, even if the conflict subsides. Um, so I, I think our prediction, our expectation, um, is, is that Poland would continue to be a very strong market for us. As I said, you know, this lot makes up a little under 20% of our business. Um, our, our bank partner there, we have an extremely gr strong relationship with. They have over 30% market share, um, and, and so all of those factors, I think, point to us being, you know, pretty strong on the market. See if others want to add on any comments. Uh, beyond Poland, though, so I, I don't, I don't know that we know how many people stay or, or return and when this will end. But I think as long as they're there, I think culturally the two countries are, are fairly well aligned, and I think the Polish people in particular have been incredibly welcoming to uh, bring them into the country and find them jobs and you know put them in be able to continue to live while that conflict continues to go on. <clears throat> but I was in Ireland uh, seeing the Bank of Ireland, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, and they were commenting also about the number of Ukrainians that have come into Ireland. So this is not a Poland-only event. People are you know, either based on families or opportunities in other markets in Europe. I think it's going to be uh, embedded in Europe for some time. But beyond that, Ireland, we just reopened our office this year, and Ireland's been closed for two years. So remember, your, remember, as the U.S. opened up, all of us wanted to kind of get back to life as we knew it, and that's going to include travel and spending money. So part of what, I, what we feel is occurring in Europe this year is some of the bounce back that maybe we experienced in the U.S. earlier because the lockdowns uh, in some markets lasted longer than um, maybe what we were used to here in the U.S. And just to uh, complement that, uh, what we've seen, um, Ramsey, in the first quarter is kind of record new merchant sales. So we're seeing merchant growth. Talking to our merchants, kind of they're planning, uh, they're maintaining their forecasts for the year. They're not forecasting a downturn with uh, a short-term lift of, of Ukrainians in and then out and and then also when you look at some of the volume mix we're seeing as i said it's it's domestic spending but also some, what complements or supports the dcc traffic is uh, germans crossing the border and buying gas uh, in the many gas stations that we have uh, on the basis we have four of the top six uh, gas companies petrol station companies in in poland so that's kind of just steady recurring transaction that uh, kind of it is indifferent to the Ukrainian factor. So, uh, so we're pretty confident that um, not only the volume trends are strong and, and not dependent solely on a Ukrainian factor, uh, the underlying cores, underlying verticals are steady, but but also the new merchant recruitment, which is coming through bank through the bank partner, as as Tom outlined, both kind of traditional merchants, but more importantly, the tech-enabled e-commerce uh, opportunities. Um, and the unattended is uh, toll roads or vending. Uh, so all the tech-enabled uh, channel growth is where we're seeing uh, the positive uplift uh, in new merchants and transaction growth. So uh, uh, the fundamentals are strong. Okay, so a broader set of drivers there. That, that's super helpful. Appreciate it. And one follow-up from me. Jim, could you talk about 
the roadmap in terms of expanding into new geographies? I guess given the early stage of the chili business, the pending JV in Greece, is it is it too early to start thinking about moving into new regions? Or is I know it's a tough macro environment, geopolitical instability. Is that causing you guys to kind of hit pause for a little bit? How do you think about that? <laughs> no, I think the only time we had pause was uh, the second quarter of 2020 when I said that it was hard to <laughs> form these relationships. Yes, I got a lot of feedback on that comment. Um, it was it's hard to form these relationships. Uh, um, Greece is a 20-year exclusive relationship, so to to be able to put one of those together, you actually need to be with the people, have lunch, dinner, and get to know each other beyond just negotiating um, contracts. <clears throat> so now that travel and fortunately the, the mass mandate, at least for the time being, is lifted, I think um, travel is going to only accelerate and um, banks who went through this uh, the last two years without really digital solutions and don't have an easy pathway to to uh, <clears throat> to build it in-house, which is um, almost always the case, are going to be looking for partners. And um, we're not slowing down at all. It's a constant focus of the entire executive team to look for opportunities in new markets. We have a, a team dedicated full-time um, pursuing that. And uh, they're very enthusiastic about the, the opportunities that we're currently seeing already uh, come up <clears throat> come up in the market. Got it. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Is that it? <clears throat> okay. I'd like to uh, to thank everyone for joining us this morning and your continued interest in Evo Payments. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.